This episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast is presented by The Performance Academy. For all of your athletic training needs, train with purpose at The Performance Academy. TPA houses a number of training resources from private baseball and softball instruction to team sports performance classes. Utilize advanced technologies like output sports, hit tracks, and TrackMan to take your game to the next level. On top of our elite staff and advanced technological capabilities, be a part of the TPA family and take advantage of the many resources our facility has to offer. Want to go to a game? How about a concert? How about going to see classical music? Whatever you're into, there's only one place to get your tickets. Thankfully, we are partnered with SeatGeek, the essential resource for live events. For any of your ticket needs, make sure you go over to SeatGeek.com and use the code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. Again, that is SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. For all of your clothing needs, athleisure, the sickest baseball gear you can get. We're talking hoodies, shorts, sweatpants, sunglasses, hats, any baseball style you can imagine. Routine Baseball has it, and we are now partnered with them. All you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. It's routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have you will receive 10 percent off your order today one more time routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10 percent off your order today powered by riverside Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. Dan, Thursday evening, entering weekend three of college baseball. How are we feeling today? Doing well, Trev. Um, I'm going to try and be more upbeat in my greeting tonight uh, since I got criticized on Monday. This is, the, this is one of my favorite days of the year. This is the last day of February, which means tomorrow is March, which means we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Daylight savings is in like 10 days. It'll be light out till like 6, 30, 7 o'clock. We can start to feel, you start to feel the warm air. We've had a couple of days that have felt like spring. We'll have a bunch of more. Baseball's worth week three of college baseball. Major League Baseball is underway. Everything starts to get better starting tomorrow that's why the last that last night in february it's like goodbye winter go away for good i'm sorry to all yeah. the people that still live up north who are going to get snow for the next two months still but for that's us okay though they can <laughs> we could see the light at the end of the tunnel they can deal with that that's you know they make their own choices that's their own prerogative um i'm not going to judge them in any way but you know you come down here to north carolina and and further south and you actually get to play baseball in warm weather and it's it's a fascinating idea 
um, to actually play baseball in warm weather. We spent enough time last last week talking or earlier this week talking about moving the schedule back and what that would do. So if anybody doesn't know how much Dan and I hate baseball in the cold weather, you can find out uh, over the last two episodes. Forget even playing baseball in the warm weather. Just anything. Just living life. <laughs> Existing. Yeah, rather that's, that's fair. Seasonal depression is a real thing. Check out our friends at BetterHelp if you need some help with that. Hopefully we're on the back end of your seasonal depression. Hopefully you're not a summer seasonal depression person because that would be a mind-boggling thing wouldn't get along in my brain. That wouldn't, yeah. that wouldn't make sense to me if you, were, if you enjoyed 6.30 looking out your back window like I am right now and it's just dark. It's like we're getting to the end and today was a day where it was light late. So we're getting yeah, close, nice. but – we have a lot of good baseball. Obviously, midweeks we're, we're rolling. A ton of midweek madness going on this week. Uh, we got a really loaded slate this weekend. But let's get into the midweeks first, right? So TCU played a two-game set. And again, I feel like we talk a lot about TCU. Our expert, Jamie Plunkett, was on last week. Talked a lot about their big weekend. They ended up winning against Washington State in extra innings, 8-7. to seven. But then they had a really impressive game against Arizona, and Arizona is going to be in the Frisco Classic this weekend. So we're going to talk a little bit about them in detail. But a really impressive win, 6-1. to one. Dan, my question for you is, this TCU team, they seem pretty well-rounded. They're winning tight ones. It's just a really good club. And, and kind of just watching them from the outside, it looks like they have something going there. Lineup's really good. Rotation's starting to take shape. What are you noticing with the Horn Frogs that's really leading to them having this outstanding start to the season? They've been the most impressive team in the country to me um, so far, and it's obviously easy to say that when a team's undefeated. Um, but I think just the – like you can see the progression of them getting better um offensively it was like kind of scramble drill against a really good Florida Gulf Coast team who continues to you know rack up good wins um and play good baseball so it's it's not as surprising as it might have been right away but anyway they, they kind of scramble drilled for a sweep against Florida Gulf Coast and then they just kind of continued to build really good weekend last weekend um and then two really solid um midweek wins the offense is starting to click you saw it on Sunday you get a really good start from Braden's uh Sloan in the midweek against Arizona, like they're starting pitching, starting to take shape. They're starting to kind of build and they've just been impressive to be able to be undefeated and answer some of the early season questions that people have. Like you can start to roll. And to me, I think they've been the most impressive team in my mind. Um, there might've been some more impressive performances, but to me altogether, they've been the most impressive team so far. Yeah, they've had a couple close wins here and there, which people have kind of been turned off by. And really, at the end of the day, I think, I mean, we've seen Wake Forest fall. We've seen LSU fall. We've seen all these top teams fall. They end up winning in the end. And, and in college baseball, I think we need to value that a lot more uh, because you're going to have some tight ones. You're going to have some opportunities for teams to come in, especially on midweeks and catch you sleeping after a big series sweep of UCLA. But when you look at their schedule currently as it stands you have they're standing at undefeated as you mentioned florida gulf coast texas state ucla arizona those are four of the teams that they've played and they played ucla for three and florida gulf coast for three who as you mentioned still stacking wins in a good position they gave them everything they could handle that's a top 60 top 50 team in the country there is nobody who has a resume that stacks up there might be more they don't 
technically, as of right now, I mean, UCLA was a ranked win at the time. You don't technically have like the big top 10 win that's going to wow you. But at the end of the day, like they are beating really good teams, teams that are going to, that nobody's going to want to see in a regional come June, all of these things. And they're handling their business. And really the, this past weekend was the most impressive because they absolutely dominated that weekend. Yeah, that was exactly. And that was kind of where you were seeing them trend up and why they're kind of most impressive. And then like even Washington state who not great, but it's a PAC 12 school. I mean, we've seen, we're, we're seeing big programs lose to teams and with way less talent mm-hmm. in way lesser conferences than TCU going out and taking care of business against Washington state. And to me, like you said, that's what just makes the resume so impressive. They'll have their chance for their top 20 wins, right? Like they will oh, yeah. have them as the year goes on. And um, again, if the pitching, if they can figure out roles in pitching, look out. Cause that lineup, that lineup is dynamic. Yeah. I mean, Braden Sloan with this outing, I mean, that's 13 Ks through six innings against a good Arizona team. Like that's where it's like, all right, that now this pitching rotation is starting to take shape and you're just really impressed with what they're able to to have. And like you said, that lineup, they're going to hit this whole year. Peyton Chotnier and Anthony Silva have absolute hot starts, been carrying the freight and you know, the rest of that lineup is going to hit. Another midweek result that we felt like was notable is Old Dominion upset number 11, East Carolina. East Carolina's coming off of big in-state series victory against the Tar Heels uh, from UNC Chapel Hill. But this is back-to-back midweek losses for the Pirates. Last week was to the Fighting Camels. Everybody across the country is going to understand that that's a respectable team to lose to, especially in a midweek one game. Um, They're a good club, obviously. but Back-to-back midweek losses, I'm not saying we're worried, just shows some depth concerns when we talk about a team that wants to play late, that wants to get to Omaha because they've never been to Omaha. And when you start to have depth concerns creep up, and again, it's early, we're still going to kind of work out these kinks. There could be a young buck who steps up. All the things like that can factor into it, but it's hard to not look past these two games and lack of starting pitching and lack of bullpen depth and not be a, at least a little bit concerned about how this team's going to handle the marathon that is a college baseball season. The people of Greensboro and Asheville truly appreciate you because you always refer to UNC Chapel Hill instead of just UNC. Those other those other campuses really like I, you do it for them, and I'm I'm pretty sure you're building a solid fan base out there because um, I think 98% of people, it's just your professionalism, 98% of people would just refer to it as UNC. And I think everyone would pretty much know what you were talking about. Um, yeah, and that's what's tough about some of these mid-major programs, like East Carolina, obviously, fringe top 10 program, really good, but sometimes depth is where you can see the holes in recruiting when you're a mid-major program and not a power conference program. That has a little bit more resources, that has a little bit of a bigger recruiting base, booster base, and all of those things that you need to build the depth. And that's why it's always so fun and um, impressive when some of these teams can build like ECU has, like Coach Godwin has built that program into what it is. And, and you know, you talk about what Coach Hare's starting to build Campbell into and all of some of these smaller programs, Coastal, like the fact that they can get depth and they can just consistently year over year produce and beat Dallas Baptist is another one where it's like, you're always in the 
in the mix. You're always in the mix. You're always threatening Omaha. That's really tough to do when you don't have the resources, the power conferences. And so from time to time, early in the year, especially, that's what's going to happen with, with programs like that is you're going to, you know, you're going to have depth issues and you have to figure it out and you got to find what guys can step up and fill the roles that you need. Um, I don't know. At the deadline, ECU needs to go get a right-handed bat, maybe. <laughs> Definitely a right-handed one that, bat. One that they're not going to butt. Oh, also the the summer salting in the home plate has that been? Um, I think it's been the same guy both times, right? It. I think so. I heard three times. So we He's had done the, it, same guy's done it three times. Three times, and after Is that one a thing, I don't know that. Like it's starting to feel who like is, maybe is we're missing the boat. Is that who, who's doing I, it? Yeah, I think so. I'm starting to wonder Weird. if it's something that's being taught. <laughs> is the yeah, concerning. but if it's, if it's only him, I don't know. It's just it's a weird move. I don't understand. Maybe he's a big parkour guy, but he's gonna he, he's is gonna he trying to do the thing where he avoids days. the tag and lands on the plate, or is he no trying to cause a collision? I have no idea. It's it not safe for him. I'll get coach. Go- I'll get coach Godwin on the call this week. We'll get that's in the scrum those- post game media. And I'll ask him. Well, it's just one of those things to me where it's like you keep doing that. People are going to expect it and you're going to get hurt. The catcher's just going to stand up and put a shoulder into your gut with, and you're going to have no ground to protect you. Or he's going to slide left and your head's going to be where his his knees are. Yeah. It's not smart. It's not. We, we never said it was smart, but that lineup, really good. Um, really they good. have some really good horses on the weekend. Um, but – Gotta gotta get the kinks out on the midweeks, and we got at the end of the day when you're you can drop. We talked about this with Wake. You can drop some midweeks. You can't be a midweek loser, especially no, in a no, state no. like North Carolina, right? Because they're not going to be playing against teams that are just going to roll over for them. So you're going to lose a lot of RPI points if you don't win those midweek games. Now they don't matter. They're not going to be the end all be all. But if you start to drop six, seven, eight losses in a midweek through the course of the year and they're already down two that's going to hurt your resume and it's going to hurt your hosting opportunity at a place that can definitely use a hosting opportunity and that's what i was going to say the biggest thing for them is because you're not playing in a power conference you're not picking up once you get into conference play the signature wins that you might pick up if you're an acc fcc big 12 pac 12 school um so the fact that you're a mid-major in North Carolina, you're going to play a lot of really good midweek games. You're going to play a lot of very good midweek teams. They obviously the that was a huge series win over Carolina, uh, North Carolina on uh, this past weekend for them. But you need to like you're going to have a bunch more of those big time prove it games in the midweek. You can't be a loser, like you said. Also, I don't know if you saw it, but the uh, video of the walk off by Old Dominion is sick because there was like six different angles. I think it was an aware. I think aware might have put it out. Someone put it out. But it was of the aware sports shout angles. out, and it was like yeah. Uh, there was like uh, I think it there is was like yeah. four different views. It was pretty sweet. It was a pretty sweet video and a, a pretty good moment. A big win for for Old Dominion. Go ahead. Yeah. Shout out Justin. No doubt. No doubt. And and that that's a good program. Like again, like. Who East Carolina is losing to in the midweek is not who you would be like, oh my gosh. But, no, but it is wins. still concerning nonetheless, and you need those wins. Because especially you when you go on the road, yeah, and you right. go on the road, that's going to help. And we know the, the committee, they, the committee, it, everything's off RPI. 
right? That's at the end of the day, that's what it's going to come down to. And you need those points. And maybe we're overthinking it a little bit right now, early in the season, but you don't want to drop six or seven midweek games against good programs and, and have that hurt you. Game that everybody circled on Tuesday afternoon, uh, the Fighting Camels of Campbell University head down to Conway, South Carolina and take on Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, man, we talk about them a lot. I feel like we've we've definitely covered their each and every weekend and, and what they've kind of been going through. They've handled their business this year. They continue to bang as an offense. They have six regulars hitting over 345. As a team, they're hitting three. 317 with 13 home runs through eight games in their airport of a park. So, you know, that's going to continue. And I will even say on top of that, their two key guys in Caden Bonine and Derek Bender haven't even found their power stroke yet. It's being led by a couple of other guys, a couple of older veterans that are really handling their business right now. But I think the story with Coastal Carolina so far through this season, now again, it is early. The weather hasn't warmed up. The wind could very well turn in Conway. That ballpark could become even smaller when it gets to 75, 80 degrees on a consistent basis. All of these things are factors. But the question for Coastal Carolina was never, ever about lineup and their ability to score runs. The question has always been how the pitching staff will hold up. Pitching staff so far has done their job. They're sitting right now at a 3.73 ERA, led by Josh O'Neill, who's pitching to a 2.25 ERA with eight innings pitched, nine Ks, a little bit of... Uh, Escaping out of jams there with five walks. Alexander Meckley has been really good with a 3.18 ERA, 11 and a third innings pitched, and 14 Ks with three walks. Riley Eikhoff's pitching to a 4.5 ERA, 10 innings pitched, five Ks and one walk. Now, the question is going to be the third starter. Who's going to fill that role? Because so far, Ryan Lynch hasn't been great. Three innings pitched, 16.2 ERA, and zero Ks through those three innings. But they have a young buck here um, that has been really good and I think is going to step up. So, Dan, what have you noticed with the pitching staff that's kind of been good and and something that you enjoy to see with a team that, again, with questions coming into the year regarding that their ability to pitch it? Yeah, and Coach Gilmore's uh, shown the ability to be creative and um, not be afraid to try and and – different guys in different roles throughout the years, uh, especially, you know, some of the years that you see them, they're really good because they're always kind of carried by their offense. And if they can get enough pitching, they can go on a run. Um, and the committee has shown that they'll let them host. And, and uh, you know, they've hosted regionals uh, many years. So for them, it's just kind of figuring out who can get the job done on the mound. And like you said, they, they have some guys who they, they can slide into the weekend rotation but for Coastal, it's always going to be about the offense. And, I mean, my guy, Zach Beach, who I absolutely love, just I love his setup. I love his swing. I love watching him hit. You know, he's a, he's a grad student guy now. He's a veteran. He's been there for a while, and he just continues to bang. I mean, he's got five bombs here early on. Um, and like you said, you know, two of their, their, their biggest guys haven't even gotten going, really, uh, in Bender and Bonine. And, and like, that offense is just going to continue to carry them. And so I think they're – because of what conference they play in, because of the ballpark they play in, they're afforded some time to figure out some of the things on the mound, but so far so good for a team that you don't expect to have it figured out early and maybe to struggle a little bit on the mound. seems like they have a good group right now and uh, they're getting the job done as need be. I know they started the year one and two, but they, they hosted some really good teams down there that first weekend. So last weekend and then this uh, this win over uh, Campbell really is a, a positive step forward for them moving into week three. 
No doubt, no doubt. And and on the pitching side, I think Cameron Flukey's a guy that's going to be people should remember that name because again, when we talk about that third starter dilemma, he's a guy who's a true freshman right now coming in relief and giving them some length in relief. 2.57 ERA, seven innings pitch, 14 strikeouts with four walks. You can tell the stuff is going to play. It's just a matter of if they want to take the reins off of him and give it to him, which I think with that with that situation they got going on in the, the third starter role, I think it's probably worth a shot. But that's a guy whose stuff is going to carry it. And if you can get him to click as a true freshman, I think he could be a guy that's a real difference maker for them once they get into conference play and then obviously beyond that couple quick hitters before we get into the weekend ahead. We had number 25, who Dallas Baptist University, who is now 8-0 on the season. They took care of business against Oklahoma State. Super impressive what this club's doing. Super impressive what Coach Hefner's done in the history of that program, quite frankly. Um, it comes as doesn't come as a surprise to anybody who's followed uh, college baseball for a long extended period of time. Indiana was upset by Purdue-Fort Worth, 9-6 this week. Stetson with a big win over number four, Florida, seven to four. And Pepperdine walked off uh, number 24, UCSB, on a walk-off walk. Uh, So any thoughts about those uh, four games, quick hitters, before we head into the weekend ahead, Dan? Uh, Florida's an interesting one. that that They had really started to look better. Um, They had swept Columbia. They have a big series against Miami. They drop one against, you know, Stetson's always going to have a good program. They're going to be pretty good. Fort Worth upset isn't as big of an upset. Again, like some of these midweek games like this just can happen. And these programs, you just continue to move into the weekend and take care of business, specifically Florida. Florida, to me, it's like the fact that the St. John's weekend got rained out makes some of these early season losses like because they went 0-1 on the weekend and they sat there while mm-hmm. everyone was playing a full weekend with just a loss hanging around their necks. Whereas I think Florida is going to be fine. They're one of the best programs in the country. Um and, and they'll continue to prove that as the year goes on. Yeah, definitely. Early season, it is um, – you you can never hold too much weight into it. But, Dan, I'm going to ask you a question here. I'm going to catch you off guard. What is the uni- the college that has the most – I guess not active anymore – Cy Young winners? Let's just go with our in our lifetime. The most Cy Young Award winners in our lifetime. I, I have a feeling you're setting this up. Is it Stetson? It is I know, Stetson. I, know, I only know who else is a Cy Young winner out of Stetson. Corey Kluber. Kluber. Are that is that is that a real stat though? We can't find another. I'm thinking. I, I was got, trying to. I, I know. Was, I was kind of like Missouri. You have DeGrom. I was scuffling a little Stetson bit here trying to find it, but yeah, <laughs> you got me thinking. Of, you got me now thinking of like where Cy Young Award winners went. So you have DeGrom and Kluber, who both won two each in recent memory. Let's UCLA has two winners in okay. recent memory. Um, right. They could probably be up at three. No, not in our lifetime. Not at three. Now we're giving up. It's sad how they fall, though, out of UCLA. They're giving up hits to Barstool Sports employees. Yeah, not a great look. Missouri, Max Scherzer won a cup. Right. He's a good podcast. He's, he's the only one. Going down the list, we got one St. Mary's. You know who went to St. Mary's? We have a we have a universe. No, because it, wait, twenty twenty one. went to Cy University of California, South, uh, Santa Barbara, right? Yep. So and they then there's one. another one. 
2021 Cy Young. Yeah, help me out. Cutter Geyer. Cutter Geyer. Um, I'm out. Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns. That's what Corbin, I did. I hope that's Burns. Right. Yep. We got a. Uh, we can probably keep doing this. Who I just thought of somebody else who I think. Did Strider win it last? No, Strider. Did Strider end up winning it last year? Mm-mm. Who won the Cy no. Young and then uh, last year? Because there's one for Clemson. Strider did. Blake Snell. Blake Snell. That's right. That's right. Free agent Blake Snell. I just did. Well, four and a third merchant Blake Snell. I just forgot it. <laughs> Let's see. I'm sure you know where Justin Verlander went. Old Dominion. Sneaky one here. Tennessee. I don't think you're going to get this one. He. Oh, well, that would give it away. But I'll give you give you a second before. Who's the Cy Young winner in 2012 that went to Tennessee? 2012, okay. Uh, 2012 Cy Young. This is tough. Do you want my hint? Yeah, because it's not as... He used to throw a fastball at Tennessee. He used to throw a fastball at Tennessee. That didn't uh-huh. Come on. Yeah. He's famous for not throwing a fastball. Oh, R.A. Dickey. R.A. Dickey. And I also found out. R.A. Dickey won a Cy Young kills me. You got Florida yeah. Gulf Coast has a Cy Young Award winner too, right? Mm, I don't think he's ever won. Chris Hale's never won one? Never won a Cy Young. He didn't win one with the White Sox? Uh-uh. And then, so yeah, this will be the last thing. awards are so meaningless to me. So meaningless. So we do have a tie at the top, as I do, with two each. Three schools have two each, which I guess we Barry Zito must have transferred. Stetson. So actually, technically four schools. Since the 2000s, four schools have multiple Cy Young winners. Stetson, UC Santa Barbara, if you count that Barry Zito apparently went there and then transferred right. at two Southern California, which is where Randy Johnson right. and Barry Zito went. And then sneaky one here is Arkansas with Dallas Keuchel and Cliff Lee. Keuchel Both have two Cy Youngs. I got the Keuchel winning a Cy Young. Like that just doesn't seem. Yeah, it's what year was that, 2015, 16, 17. Kid Keuchel. 2017, I would imagine. Yes, 2015. 15. Yeah, yep. Cliff Lee, a lot of in on here. Though. That's my favorite. What? Cliff Lee, 2008 Cy Young. Yes. Yep. AL with the Indians. Guardians. Fun little, fun little diversion Detour. off the path there. Yeah. Fun little five, five minutes. Hopefully, you guys played along to our listeners yeah. out there. Um, and we're just out here oh. guessing Cy Young winners. Ari Dickey won a Cy Young. Yep. I can't believe the fastball didn't give it away, but let's look I ahead to like the weekend. R.A. Dickey would have never won a Cy Young if it was up to me. <laughs> it's a gimmick. Oh, my gosh. Let's look ahead to the weekend. Um, ahead, just so we can uh, – now I'm going to look up what he – I'm not going to lie, Danny. He was a 273 with 233 innings and 230 strikeouts with only 54 walks. I think that's Cy Young worthy. Well, now you're going to have me pull up other other arms. What was the Cy Young voting I'm just, that year? I'm just give saying. The, I don't know. Give me the Cy Young voting in 2012. I mean, here. Uh, 
Clayton Kershaw came in second with a 253, 227 innings with 229. Okay. Pretty and then good. Gio Gonzalez came in third. Uh, down negative juice baseballs, I guess. I mean, it was if he would have went. I kind of like Kershaw's season better. <laughs> yes, of course. But if he would have went two seven three with like a hundred twenty strikeouts, you would have right. Like he would have. I would have been won. like, okay, that's bad. But he had two hundred thirty. He almost punched out a batter per inning. And that's pretty good. <laughs> he was yeah, commanding Kershaw, that. Kershaw knuckle. did punch out a batter. In oh, I know. Like, again, you're. Sh- I think you're splitting hairs there. Like, probably should have went to Kershaw, but Kershaw was also probably rattled off like six straight at that point or whatever he yeah, had been. Yeah, was a down he was year for Kershaw. Two, five, yeah. three at that, at, at that time was a down year for Kershaw. He was 100%. It was. So let's look ahead to this weekend now that we can finally turn the page on R.A. Dickey's Cy Young Award. A lot of fun baseball going on this weekend. We have a lot to unpack. But first, I want to talk about the big weekend in Georgia. It's it's going to feature two good teams, right? Two highly respected programs between Georgia Tech and Georgia, where they'll be playing a three-game series with one at Georgia Tech, one at Georgia, and then one in Lawrenceville. But the story of the weekend is going to be Drew Burris and Charlie Condon being on the same field. From a draft perspective, these are both guys that are going to hear their name called early. Charlie Condon is starting to creep up the board with a lot of impressive college bats and starting to stand out as one of the top bats. Currently, he's hitting 639, 696, 1.417, and that's slugging percentage, not OPS, 1.417 with seven home runs and five doubles. He's legit making a push to be the top college bat in the country. After winning National Freshman of the Year last year, he's taken a huge step forward. And Drew Burris has been the hot name. Uh, when I sat down, so I wrote an article this week. Check it out on Pitcher's List. It should be coming out after we after this episode's released. When I sat down to write about these guys, they were both sitting at respectable and very good numbers. They both proceeded to hit four home runs and three home runs before I finished the article. So it completely changed the narrative of what I was trying to accomplish. And Drew Burris is currently hitting 441, 512. 1.382 with nine home runs through eight games and five doubles. For those keeping count, he has 15 hits, 14 extra base hits, and he is a true freshman. These two dudes are super impressive. They're putting up literally MLB the show, create a player level statistics, and it will be fun to see them on the same field this weekend and see which one is going to show out and have a more impressive uh, play. Yeah, and they both kind of get it done in, in completely different ways. Um, Condon is six foot six, two hundred sixteen pounds, whereas Drew Burris is five nine, one hundred eighty two pounds. Condon kind of just looks like he flicks baseballs out to all parts of the field. Everything that comes off his bat is hot. And same thing as far as how hard he hits the ball in Drew Burris, but it looks like it gets done in a completely different way because he's got to use his entire frame. He's obviously a little slighter build, but that's what's almost made Burris' start so impressive to be a true freshman have all the moving parts he does have in a swing of that stature and obviously a a highly you know touted kid coming into the program so you know you knew there was going to be success at some point it's just shocking when it's 14 of your first collegiate hits or extra base hits and you have four home you know he took four swings the other night and hit four homers that's what's crazy um 
yeah, this weekend to me, like that series is all about those two guys, in my opinion. Like it's a, it's a good start under Wes Johnson. They haven't been tested. This will be their biggest test as far as Georgia goes. Um, interestingly enough, like the offense has done a great job for Georgia um, and Wes Johnson, who's uh, one of the best pitching guys in the country. I think that staff is going to take some time to get it to where he wants it to be. They've kind of haven't been great. Give up 19 runs to a two and five Michigan State team in a midweek loss. That's not pretty, and now they're going to have to face a really good Georgia Tech team. So little brother, as they call them uh, in Athens, might might be the better team here. Uh, Georgia Tech has a couple better wins, and I think probably overall are the better team at this point. But if you're a Georgia fan, I mean, the, the start by Wes Johnson's exciting. Um, kind of fresh, turn that program over. There's, they've had a ton of roster turnover um, with him coming in. And, and just to see these two on the same field is going to be uh, probably definitely some fireworks, which uh, – Everyone should sit back and enjoy. I'm going to put myself on blast. I Googled whether Drew Burris or I had more extra base hits in their college career. I still have a in their college comfy career. Lead. In their college career, I still have a comfy lead with him sitting at 14. Um, but I think he's going to break that probably by the end of that March. is extremely <laughs> out of character for you. I'm not going to lie. So what? <laughs> like. Pe- to look up your numbers and like even even do that's that the first is time out I've, of character for you. That's the first time I've done that in a very long time. But I was genuinely curious to see who had more extra bases. Was the reason because of the the frame like similar frames? No, just the fact that he had fourteen in eight games and I played like <laughs> seventy. <laughs> and I was just curious. Fair enough, it's like, man. Fair enough. But yeah, I mean from. It's going to be fun to watch. Like, literally, when you talk about what Drew Burris has done, and Charlie Condon's a complete, I mean, he kind of burst on the scene in some cases out of nowhere. I mean, he's a guy who redshirted. And from my from what my understanding, it wasn't because of injury reasons. He just redshirted and then wins National Freshman of the Year, and everybody's like, oh, little power over hit guy, fun in college. Let's see if it translates to the next level. And it's like, oh, well, now he's going to come out this year and absolutely just show that he can have a hit tool too on top of being a, a legit 70 grade raw power guy. But Burris being it like to me and a lot of people knew the name coming into the year, but this is Dylan Cruz getting to college level player, right? We're going to be able to watch this guy for three years. He's going to put up bonkers numbers for three years. He's going to be a guy that every MLB organization is going to be interested in, in a couple of years. And it's just going to be fun to watch this guy just absolutely break um, and see how he adjusts. I mean, we saw it with – he has similar number, numbers, comparable numbers to what Tommy White had through eight games, and we saw him kind of teeter off in the ACC once they got an ACC play and pitchers started to attack him a little bit differently. I'd be interested to see. I mean, the other day he went four, four swings, four home runs, two breaking balls, two fastballs, like handled them both. Were they cement mixers? Did they stay over the heart of the plate? Yeah, but you still got to keep yourself in a good position to hit, to hit them, right? They're more – getting you off balance and everything like that. So just the adjustability that he's shown so far, even for a guy with a ton of moving parts, it's really impressive. And he's a guy that, I mean, I'm going to be so intrigued to see how he handles ACC competition. And and if he can continue again, we're not going to expect him to hit, you know, they're going to play 50 games. We're not expecting him to hit 60 home runs and keep this pace and, and only hit one single for every 15 hits. No, he's going to teeter back and he's going to come back down to earth. But if you told me that he's going to push that that freshman record, I mean, with what he set himself up to do, 
I wouldn't be surprised. Georgia Tech plays very, very small in the heat of the summer too, or as we get closer to the heat of the summer. So it's definitely going to be a park that's going to allow him to to take some take a run at it, right? And and hopefully push that. But any closing thoughts on those two or what you're excited to see um down in Georgia this weekend? No, I will uh, Condon's gonna be a first baseman at the next level. I don't know. That's that's an interesting conversation. I think he could. He's shown some abilities to play third. He's probably a first baseman, but I think he's athletic enough to play corner outfield. So I wouldn't rule it out. What do you think, Charlie Connor? Burris is sorry, Dickie. Yeah, Burris will probably stick up the middle too. Burris can fly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he's a he's he's a dynamic player. He's built so for the middle he's, with he's that frame be, too. I mean, you can't really. Yeah. You don't want to stick him in a corner unless Definitely. you kicked him out to the outfield. But. Hmm. Let's head a little bit southwest here. We're going to head down to the Frisco Baseball Classic, which has an absolutely loaded slate with three ranked teams. On Friday, we're looking at number 25, Dallas Baptist University, playing against Arizona. Number 16, Alabama, is going to take on number 19, Indiana. On Saturday, Indiana is going to take on Dallas Baptist. Alabama plays Arizona. And then on Sunday, Arizona is going to finish up with Indiana, and Dallas Baptist is going to take on Alabama, which is going to be a fun one. I think looking at the slate right away, I think if there's anybody that kind of makes out pretty positively, it's got to be Alabama. They've had a great start to the year this year. Um, somebody's going to come out with this weekend. Uh, one of our two undefeated teams is Alabama and Dallas Baptist. Alabama's had a really good start to the Rob Vaughn era, but being able to get Dallas Baptist on Sunday where you're really going to start to expose their pitching depth and you're not going to have to run into their top guys and you're going to kind of be able to flex your SEC depth and your SEC talent is going to be super impressive. But what we've seen from Alabama, this is going to be the first real test of the year. There were question marks surrounding what this team was going to be in Coach Vaughn's first season. Obviously, the turnover from Coach Bohannon has been Rocky, to say the least. Um, uh, but so far, so good. I mean, Rob Vaughn, every time he, his team's rake, that just comes with the territory of what he's able to do. Um, they've been swinging it great. Ole Miss transfer TJ McCantis is leading the way, hitting 400 with six home runs and four stolen bases. Junior college transfer from our neck of the woods in Pennsylvania, Gage Miller hitting 457 with five home runs. Justin LeBron is hitting 500 to start his college career. That's pretty good. And even a guy I know you and I are both pretty high on, Ian Petrards, uh, he has been solid, not as good as you expect him to be with a 324 average and one home run. But you can assume that he's going to continue to get better. And when you start to circle those other guys in the lineup with seven regulars hitting above 320, hitting 363 as a team with 19 home runs and 18 doubles, you can start to dream on one of the best offenses in the SEC, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, this is a it's a loaded slate on the weekend, and I like Dallas Baptist in this situation because I know, you know, you, you talk about the, the big matchup on Sunday. It's kind of unfortunate we're not getting a little earlier in the weekend because the, the pitching staff might get, as you said, they'll wear down a little bit before they have to head in and face that that Alabama offense, which is really good. But you know, I just think that for for DBU. I, they have a four six three ERA as a staff, but they've punched out ninety six in seventy innings, which tells you it's it's in there, right? When you're missing bats and you're and you're collecting strikeouts like that, sometimes your batted ball luck and and can be skewed. And if you continue to miss bats, typically you're probably gonna gonna have a good a good staff on the whole, um, and things are gonna go your way. 
And so I wouldn't be surprised if Dallas Baptist actually sweeps this weekend. Because uh, just Alabama with the staff turnover, they haven't been tested yet. This is going to be the first. This is going to be their toughest test of the weekend uh, of the year so far. So you'll definitely get to learn some more about them. Um, and this is a big weekend for both Indiana and Arizona because we're sitting here and, and we, we're leading off talking about Dallas Baptist and, and Alabama because we think they're the two best teams down there. Indiana has a number next to their name. They have a couple, you know, the Fort Worth loss isn't great. Duke's a really good team, so that's understandable. Arizona, four and four. Probably a better team than four and four. Um, and They've been they tested can, out of the gate, a hundred percent. They've played a really tough schedule, and and if you can if you can go take a, a two games this weekend, um, that that would be huge for them, and I think would kind of uh, make some noise nationally if they if they can get it done. I'd agree with that. I think that I'm with you. I wouldn't. When I look at this slate, I wonder if. Indiana could be the team that might be a little bit exposed. And I guess that's just a generalization because they're a big 10 cold weather team going to play against a couple of schools that, that can recruit in the, in the warm weather States and develop and probably have more outdoor practices. But with the number next to their name, I think Arizona has the talent to, to ruffle some feathers, but I think it's going to come down to it again. Love to see this matchup on Friday. It's just one of the circumstances that comes with this weekend. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be an over game. I don't know how the ball plays in Frisco, but with those two lineups and the depth yeah. on that rotation, especially for Dallas Baptist, that ball is going to jump. Circle that one for any of our, our gambling friends out there. But I think Indiana probably is really has to show up and play really good baseball to get out of this weekend with even, you know, one and two, two and one definitely would be fired up. But you're right about Dallas Baptist. You know, when you look at their pitching staff, if you go pull it up, it's a 4-6-3 as a team. Really, quite frankly, their starters have been really good. Missing bats, as you mentioned, there's definitely some walk concerns. I mean, Ryan Johnson's a guy that I have circled on on my stat sheet here. He's pitching to a 3-6-5, 12 and a third innings pitch, 20 Ks in one walk. That's nasty that's, right that's there. The that's the bad of ball Yeah, 100%. No, no free bases, and you're punching out almost two guys an inning. Yeah, and that's impressive. There are other guys. I mean, James Elwanger's pitched nine innings, five walks, 12 Ks. You can tell he sprays it a little bit. He's had a little bit of luck. But where you circle with this team is a lot of low ERAs, specifically lower ERAs from their starting rotation. You go through a couple relievers here that have pitched some innings, and it just goes. It's what we hope the stock market does, right? When it turns into a new week, it goes up, and it's bad. Four five four nine one seven two seven three six fourteen seven three twenty seven forty fifty, and that leads you to a team ERA of a four six three. So again, depth is the name of the game for a mid major program. Rolling into Sunday against an Alabama offense with potentially having your depth needing to step up is not exactly the recipe for success with a program like DBU, but you're right. This stuff is there. 96 Ks through 70 innings. The top of their rotation, pretty formidable, been pretty impressive so far. And again, their lineup bangs. I mean, Miguel Santos hitting 414 with four with five home runs. Jay Grant, who's a legit draft guy, he's hitting 419, four home runs, four doubles. Coach's son, uh, Dan Hefner's son, Luke Hefner, playing great shortstop, 345, four doubles, one triple. Uh, so as a team, they already have 18 home runs, which, again, anybody who's followed Dallas Baptist over the course of, of any amount of time is understands that that's a, that's a really good offense that really knows how to swing the bat. And 
And as we look at this weekend, there's probably going to be a lot of opportunities for some run scored, but it's going to be a lot of good opportunities for some good baseball. Yeah, I mean, this is a, there's a lot of good series this weekend, and this is just a you know four good teams that um, should play tight games and should be exciting games to watch as we you know continue to roll on here in the non-conference slate. Yeah, and we get closer and closer each and every week to getting uh, through the non-conference and getting into conference play, which we're excited about. But let's stay in the state of Texas here. Astros Foundation Classic, the big game of the weekend, uh, is on Friday night, which is nice. We're going to have a little bit of LeBaron Johnson and Thatcher Hurd matchup at night in Minute Maid Park between number three LSU and number 15 Texas. That's going to be a fun um, game to watch and tune into on Friday night. The other teams that are down there currently, uh, Vanderbilt, number nine. Obviously, we've talked a lot about them. The Raging Cajuns, uh, Louisiana, Houston, and Texas State, which are both formidable programs and going to have a lot of good games. But I think the team that has the the slate this weekend, quite frankly, is Texas. They run into LSU. They're, they're getting the SEC run around before they join the SEC come uh, July 1. They got LSU on Friday, who is obviously, we know, reigning national champions. Texas State, who is a very formidable program. They pitch it as good as anybody across the country. And then you have to roll in and play Vanderbilt on Sunday. The SEC teams, they kind of make out of this this little weekend like Bandits. They're going to play their ranked matchup. They're going to eat, they're going to eat their food on the other guys and, and be able to get out of there probably feeling uh, frisky as they get closer to conference play going 2-1. and one. But this matchup on Friday, I think it really comes down to the pitching matchup for me. Um, obviously, Thatcher Hurd is a guy we've talked about. He's a guy who's struggled so far um, as the Friday night guy. Who knows if he's going to stick there? They have some other guys who've pitched really well, including Coleman, but there's no need to really change anything at this point in time. But Thatcher Hurd currently pitching to a 90 RA through seven innings with 12 Ks and five walks. So the strike throwing ability has not been there. But he's a guy that we saw in Omaha that if he hits his stride at the right time, he's going to get rolling and he's going to be a formidable ace for them. And then when we look at the other side of the ball, LeBaron Johnson, who's been absolutely nails this year, 1.38 ERA through 13 innings with 14 punch outs and four walks. So if we get good Thatcher Hurd, and if we get good LeBaron Johnson, it's going to be a really fun day uh, for any of our pitching nerds out there to watch some really good stuff in an MLB ballpark. So even get some stat cast, cast data on them. Thatcher Hurd just needs to get in the strike zone. Like Thatcher Hurd proved last summer that his stuff can play in the strike zone uh, against some of the best offenses in the country. So he just needs to just, just find that confidence. It almost sometimes feels like a confidence thing with him. And it, it might not be, you know, that's just me speaking from watching it through a television screen, but it could just be he's streaky and he gets out of whack a little bit and loses the zone. And uh, sometimes guys are like that where they're, you know, you, we see streaky offensive players all the time. He's kind of streaky on the mound. Like you said, when he finds his footing, though, stuff clearly plays in the zone. And and you really want to see him get back to that. And and maybe he gets the the, the Hagen-Smith uh, uh medicine of going down to Texas and playing in one of these mm-hmm. round robins and can go out there and, and put together a start where all eyes are on him, just like in, in, in the World Series. Look, on the biggest stage, he proved it, which is why expectations were high for him and why people believe that that he can be their best guy. And then Jay Johnson rolls him out there first to start the year, which proves that, you know, he believes it too. And so, you know, really kind of this is a good moment. This is a good spot for him. I don't want to build it up to be bigger than it is because it's just another non-conference start. It's his third of the year. He'll get nine more um, before the postseason. But 
I think this is a good spot. I kind of like the spot for him. And, and against a really good Texas lineup, look, the top of Texas's offense is, is going to be really good. They have guys that are going to leave the yard with ease, just like it seems like they always do. Uh, Jared Thomas is hitting dang near 600. Uh, so it's a good test for Thatcher Hurd. And then on the other side, same thing with LeBaron Johnson. I mean, he's been great, but he gets a good test in LSU's offense because, as we know, LSU's got all kinds of offensive firepower, offensive weapons. Um, they've been putting up – ever since they got beat by Stony Brook, they've kind of <laughs> taken it out on the baseball. So uh, that's going to be, like you said, it's going to be an awesome pitching matchup on Friday night, and and hopefully we get a, a pitcher's duel. And I would really like to see Thatcher Hurd kind of look like that guy we saw in Omaha in June. Yeah, and two other things, observations for Friday night, going to be a great crowd, and it's a great yes. color matchup. Great uniform matchup, absolutely. Yeah. Like it, yeah. the crowd, if you get an overhead shot of that crowd, just a sea of purple and yellow and then some burnt orange and white, it's going to be a pretty sight to see. It's not going to be, it, it's going to look weird. It's going to look like a fourth graders art project, but it's going to be so nice for us college sports nerds that just love to look at the colors and those uniforms and everything. Um, Another event in Texas, man, a lot of these Texas events, the Kubota College Classic, uh, three weekends in, um, to me, I mean, we'll talk about the teams, but they whiffed on an opportunity right here. TCU with Texas A&M, Coach Schlossnagel going, playing against his uh, former employer. They just didn't line it up for whatever reason. It's basically like TCU plays UC, USC on Friday, and they play USC again on Sunday. And then Texas A&M plays Arizona State on Friday, plays Arizona State on Sunday. And then in between, TCU plays Arizona State and Texas A&M plays USC. So whiff of an opportunity. They're not even conference opponents, so I don't know where it comes from. Maybe they line up in a midweek matchup some point this year. I don't know what goes into it, but weekend three at Globe Life had some really good games. Obviously, you mentioned the Hagen-Smith outing against Oregon State. There's no ranked on ranked around here this weekend, and really TCU and Texas A&M probably most likely should leave this weekend in pretty convincing fashion, looking like top 10 teams in the country. It'll be interesting if TCU can sweep another weekend. Um, you know, they're, I think they're much better than USC, but then that, that matchup on Saturday against Arizona State is kind of interesting to me. Um, like you said, you, you, you wish you could have gotten the A&M-TCU matchup, but – I think Arizona State's got a shot to make it a ton of noise this weekend. That's a tough draw for Arizona State. Um, yeah. You come out of this, you don't. Can't we play USC once this weekend? Um, that's probably why. There's your reasoning, right? Because Arizona State not yet in the Big Twelve. That's next spring they'll be in the Big Twelve. So they probably avoided the the Arizona State USC Pac twelve non conference matchup. Um, but yeah, I, I think the 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 interesting. Uh, game for me this weekend is going to be TCU in Arizona State. I think AM kind of has a chance to roll here. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that, and, and I think it's going to be an interesting weekend. Uh, but you're right. They probably did avoid it. But then just like do a little bit of better scheduling and go get a, a real Big Ten team, not a future Big Ten team then, if that's an issue. Um, you know, like I'm sure one of those Big Ten teams would be begging to come down to Texas for a weekend and and play in one of those stadiums. But we're going to stick in our neck of the woods here for a second uh, as we cover a couple more series and and look ahead um, as the Clemson Tigers are going to be taking on the South Carolina Gamecocks on one of the best rivalries in college baseball. They're going to obviously play the home-and-home type series. We're going to get one at Founders Park and one at Clemson. 
Um, and then I believe, I don't know where the third one is exactly off the top of my head, um, but both these teams are sitting right now in the top 20. Um, obviously, South Carolina's, we know, their offense carried by Ethan Petrie, Gavin Cassis, who hasn't exactly been great, but seems to be turning a corner. Dylan Brewer's been really good. Um, and then across that lineup, they have a ton of dudes that are super impressive. Clemson on the other side, Cam Canarella, super impressive dude. Dan's man crush in the ACC. Um, Will Taylor showed a 300, three homer game this week as he's been struggling out the gates as he hung up the football cleats and transitions into baseball. But Dan, what are you looking at this weekend and what are you hoping to see between these two clubs as they face off in a, in a pretty big rivalry match and, and what we're going to have some pretty good crowds to? Similar to the other ACC-SEC rivalry weekend series that we have, I'm looking at the star power on the offensive side between two guys in particular, and Canarella and, and Petri. And Petri not putting up the gaudy power numbers that he did immediately out of the gate last year, but I, you know, I think he's just kind of everybody. Everybody circles him as like this is the guy that can't beat us in their lineup, and it's kind of interesting. He's got different guys around them. Um, they they had. Brewer hitting lower in the lineup last I looked. Um, he was hitting at the top of the order this year. So things are just a little bit different around uh, Petri. But, you know, I expect to see him kind of get back into the form of just kind of freak of nature that we saw last year where he was taking Paul Skeens out, no problem, getting 99 and just, like, depositing it. Um, and then Canarello on the, on the Clemson side, as you said, is a guy that I really love and, and enjoy watching. And he's come out of the gate just on fire doing, you know, kind of being that – Mr. Everything guy that he can be, you know, as far as, you know, hitting for power, hitting for average, getting on base, playing a really good center field. um, And and frankly, just one of the best players in the country. So for me, this weekend, just getting to see those two similar to seeing Burris and Condon in the Georgia, Georgia Tech series. It's just fun when you get again, when you get these rivalries cross conference in in, in the early weekends of the year and you get these guys who are who are superstars. and kind of becoming household names. It's fun to watch them square off and and the moments that, that can come from that. Yeah. I'm fascinated to see how South Carolina's offense, maybe potentially, I mean, again, we talk about it. This is one of the best offenses in the country. Gavin Cassis is a guy who went off last year. Obviously you mentioned Petrie Brewers, a guy who really good bat to ball, actually Clemson transfer. LaCroix is a good player. Messina is a really good player. One of the best um, behind the dish in the country. They're not doing like if you polled me two weeks before the season entering this weekend, who would be the offense that has 17 homers? No doubt be South Carolina. They're sitting right. at 11 right now, 285 average as a team. Uh, Clemson's hitting 330 as a team with 17 homers. Um, more guys through the lineup that are challenging the fence. Every regular outside of Will Taylor is hitting above 330, which is unbelievable to think about as a lineup. Um, Starting rotation concerns for Clemson a little bit, pitching to a 4-6-2 so far. Um, decent swing and miss number, 77 punch outs through 72 innings. It's okay. South Carolina on the other end's been really good on the mound. 2-4-0 on the mound, 85 strikeouts, 75 innings. So again, 
straw poll before the year, I don't think many people would be telling you that South Carolina is going to be the team that pitches it and it's not hitting it as well. And Clemson comes in as the team that's swinging it a lot better. But I'll be interested to see if that kind of carries its weight, right? Obviously, we understand guys have some stretches early in the season where they don't exactly hit their best. You know, it's colder out. Guys struggle a little bit. But once they get their footing, they start to roll there. Is this the turn, the weekend that it turns? Or is this something that we're going to look at and maybe becomes an extended struggle here and there? But I'll be fascinated to see which team really steps up and and has that good offensive weekend and who um, maybe doesn't. It's interesting because South Carolina's really leaned on their three starters um, throughout the first couple series, and they have faced an offense quite like Clemson's. So that matchup's going to be exciting to see what you know if those three guys can continue to to throw the ball well. A little bit of walks can you know a couple of those guys have walk concerns um, in Cooper and Eskew, uh, nine walks between the two of them in you know two starts, nineteen innings. So you'd like to see you know. Against other teams, you can pitch around that. Some of the competition they played against Clemson, a bunch of free bases turns into three-run homers. No doubt. No doubt. And and those parks are small too. Um, and yeah. it'll be interesting to see what parks are small. Who can that's true. That's college baseball for you uh today. Not a day to be a pitcher at a division one school. Let's head down uh to the furthest point south that we can go, uh, where the Florida Gators are gonna be taking on the Miami Hurricanes. Dan, are they in Miami? They were in Florida last year, or at, in Gainesville last year. I think they are in Miami. Give me one yeah. second. Research. This is not one of those series that is close. Yep, this is not one of those series that's close enough to do a home-and-home, home. so I figured they split each and every year. Miami's playing host. They're coming off of a midweek loss to a really good Florida Gulf Coast team. They took two or three last weekend, which any college program is going to tell you they want to take two or three but they don't exactly envision that one loss comes to Long Island University. They lost a midweek to UCF after sweeping NJIT, so they haven't exactly faced a murderer's row of competition. The two good teams that they have played have beaten them. They're 5-3 and three as it stands right now. Really good numbers across the board. But Florida is another team that people seem to be, you mentioned it off air right before we recorded that opening day loss into a rainout over that weekend really left a sour taste in people's mouth because people only really realized like, oh, they lost to St. John's. Well, they probably would have won that series. Then they win six of their next seven, right? And I'm pretty sure they won on six-game winning streak and then lose again to Stetson, as we mentioned, right? So this team talent-wise, arguably the best in the country. I mean, start in rotation, Kate Fisher, Liam Peterson, obviously – Jack Hagelin, Jack Hagelin on the offense, Colby Shelton. Um, you have a ton of other guys as well um, on the defensive side of the ball and, and offensively that are really good players. So talent-wise, through the roof, talent on both sides of the ball, through the roof, it'll be fascinating to see which team comes out top. But I think Florida's got the edge in terms of just being the better team right now. Yeah, I definitely think Florida's the better team, and I think you're going to see it this weekend. Miami's just... Missing something? I don't know. Miami seems to be, you know, they're nobody who follows seem, college sports. Tell me if you've heard that before, right? Like it's it's the same thing. Like it's it's just like you look at Miami's numbers and they look pre- they're pretty good on the mound, pretty good offensively. Maybe against the competition they've played, you'd expect some of the numbers on both sides of the ball to be better. They've they've had a couple guys struggle in the rotation. Um, I don't know. It's just weird. It's like how do you? They, 
dropped games they shouldn't have dropped. Like why why are you losing? There's no reason losing a game to Long Island. Although I'm sure there's a joke to be made in there somewhere about a bunch of dudes from Long Island going to Miami and, and doing something. But um, you know, I, I just think you said Florida has just way more talent than than uh, than I think. Miami does, especially like star power wise, Caglia known, um, Colby Shelton, who's come over from Alabama and just kind of continued to do exactly what we saw him do last year as a member of the Crimson Tide. So I like Florida in this series and I kind of like Florida to win it pretty handily. You know, Miami might steal a game here, but I think Florida can, can put up some crooked numbers on Miami and, 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 and beat them pretty good in, the, in two of the three games at least. Miami's talented enough very well to, to win one, but again, and this is why people are always high on Florida. Their starting rotation, Cade Fisher's better than a 90 or a through two starts. Liam Peterson's arguably the best freshman on the mound so far. I'm going to be a top of the draft guy. And then Jack Caglianone starting on Sundays, and he seems to be throwing more strikes at one-on-one. It's hard to win series against that pitching rotation. Just flat out. And for a team that started out five and three, has some losses that are inexcusable for a program that recruits South Florida. You don't want to be rolling into that pitching staff, quite frankly. And that's just the, that's the end where the conversation ends for me. Um, offensively, Florida's going to be really good on that side of the ball as well. Caglia known Colby Shelton, Cade Curlin, all really good players that we both like a lot, but I just don't see Miami having a chance. Uh, bulletin board material put me up on Coral Gables. Put me in the uh, put me in the, the locker room on repeat, saying that I don't think it's going to happen. But it's just really hard to play that Florida team when they have that. Their when that's their rotation. That's why they made it to the the College World Series final last year. It's because they have really good starting pitching and they're able to ride it out. And those guys have really good stuff. And that's what they have this year too. Yeah. And, and- agree with everything you said. I just don't want to go and break this series down without shouting out Daniel Cuvette from Miami, who's, I mean, just what a ridiculous start. 6.06 with five home runs is pretty impressive. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, the like the top-end roster talent that Florida has is the reason that they're a top-five program. That's the reason that they're in Omaha last year. A lot of those guys are back. A lot of – I mean, they're just it's really good. And Miami doesn't quite have that same star power um, to match up with them, which is a shame. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So the last question I'll have for you, Dan, before we get out of here and we get it, we look ahead to the weekend is All right, call your shot. Cy Young in 2012. Yes. Call your shot. What's going to be the, the storyline coming out of the weekend? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. If I, I'm going to say one of the biggest storylines coming out of this weekend is Dallas Baptist sweeps the Frisco Classic. Wow, that is a good storyline. Yeah, I that think South Baptist sweeps the, the, the first row classic. I think they'll continue to miss bats. I think finally they'll they'll get a little, you know, they'll get their run support and they'll they'll, they'll go three and zero. That's a pretty good one. I'm going to lean into the Drew Burris, Charlie Condon. It's just going to be more fun out of the weekend. People are still going to be talking about both of them are going to continue to swing it. I don't know how well either of those pitching staffs are going to be able to handle those two. So they're going to stay hot. We're going to talk a lot about them. And also for our listeners that have made it this far, check out our social channels because Dan and I are going to be rolling out something very exciting this weekend. We've been trailing it for a while. We think we're ready to put it out to the public. We're going to have some best bets 
coming out. We can call it poolside homers. Um, just kind of a little opposite of the backside ground balls. So our betting is going to be poolside homers. So check it out. We're going to have some bets for you on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're going to be keeping track of it. Um, if you want to trail us, by all means, do it at your own risk. Um, bet responsibly. Um, do not spend money that you don't have. Don't be putting dinner on on games just because Trevor and Dan said so on social media. Don't parlay our, our games either. I think that's one of the, the no. If we put out five plays, do not parlay them. It just doesn't make any sense. Just play them all individually because then when you go four and one, you don't have to come to us and be like, well, you just lost me money. It's like, actually, if you would have just done the way we said to do it, we would have won you money. And that's what we're hoping to do. That's what we're hoping to roll out. And our good friend who has helped us out through this point, he will go unnamed at this point. We appreciate it, and we hope to win some money for everybody who listens to this podcast. Dan, any closing thoughts? Yeah, hopefully we can uh, continue to, to put out some winners. Uh, it's not our fault. It's the model's fault if it's wrong. 100% every time. Poolside homers, it's their fault. Um, it's not our fault. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. Make sure you're also checking out our YouTube page. Subscribe on there. Most of our listeners on YouTube, you're not currently subscribed. So make sure you subscribe. Grab your mom's phone. Subscribe. Grab your sister's phone. Subscribe. Grab your girlfriend's phone. Subscribe. Make sure you check out our content on there. We're always churning out stuff. Make sure you are following us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And make most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.